Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Well, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 8. The very alert and observant among you will realize and remember this is exactly the same passage as we had last week. Uh, Explained last week, we were looking at a very difficult text in the Bible, and we're going to look at it twice. And so I do want to commend last week's sermon to you. If you weren't with us last week, this week is very much a second layer laid over what we looked at last week. Uh, Perhaps to get the benefit, really, of this morning, you will need to listen to last week as well. Um, So, uh, do do that if you have time. 2 Samuel chapter 8, and I'm going to read uh, the whole chapter for us. You'll find it on page 260 in the Black Bibles, 260. After this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Metheg Hamah out of the hand of the Philistines, and he defeated Moab, and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to be put to death, and one full line he to be spared. And the Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for 100 chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Beta and from Barothai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took very much bronze. When Toi, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadadezer, Toi sent his son Joram to King David to ask about his health and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had often been at war with Toi. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. These also King David dedicated to the Lord, together with the silver and gold that he dedicated from all the nations he subdued from Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. 
Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests. And Sariah was secretary. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And David's sons were priests. Amen. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we pray for Your help to look into these Scriptures in a way that is honest and humble and that changes our lives. We ask it for Christ's namesake, His great namesake. Amen. In just a few moments together, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. It's printed for you in your order of service something that we say every Sunday, isn't it? What are we saying when we ask God those words that we will do together in just a moment? Just the first four lines of the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know about you, friends, but I I worked out, I've been saying that prayer, I guess, nearly every Sunday of my life for the last 20 years, at least. It's amazing, isn't it? We are asking a holy God, a holy God in heaven, who we've been singing to, to spread His royal rule from heaven throughout all the earth so that His kingdom comes. That's what we're praying, isn't it? We're going to to pray together that the King, the King who God has already exalted to His right hand, the Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, ascended, glorious, ruling and reigning from heaven, the second Adam, great David's greater son, we are asking God to bring in the kingdom of His King the King of the universe, to bring it in here on earth forever. So, here's my question. What would that look like when it comes? Your kingdom come, O God. When God answers and the kingdom comes, what would we see? What would it look like? I want us this morning in having a second run through of 2 Samuel chapter 8, I want us to see the future by looking at the past. We've called this whole sermon series in 2 Samuel, haven't we, Your Kingdom Come? And that's the title for this sermon this morning because these amazing books, First and 2 Samuel, these amazing books are a preview of the coming kingdom. When God gives a king, his king, what does the world look like? I I read a man this, this weekend, Rod Liddell in The Spectator. He has an article called, Everything in Britain is Broken. I think you get the idea, don't you? Do you resonate with that? Does that seem right to you this morning? Everything in this land we live in is broken. He just goes through it one by one. Economy, government, schools, culture, trains. 
Friends, what about our hospitals? A really large number of healthcare professionals in Trinity, isn't there? Men and women working with terrible brokenness inside a broken system. Where does everybody put their hope? What do they look to? Let's get rid of this government and the next one will fix it. Oh yeah, we're the people that can put everything right. Brothers and sisters, I want to say to us this morning, I want to encourage you to never ever tire of that moment in our service after the sermon when we come to the Lord's Prayer together. Never tire of that moment where we all together with one voice get to respond to God as we we gather up all the broken pieces of the world and our lives that we're living. All the broken pieces of our our anxious realms, our our broken little kingdoms. We, We get to offer it all up to God, don't we? And to say to Him, often with tears in our eyes or at very least sorrow and longing in our heart, we get to say to Him, Your kingdom come. Oh, Your kingdom, Lord. Every other kingdom seems to be getting it wrong, is is broken, is coming and going. Your kingdom, Lord. For you see, here's the thing as we look at chapter 8, verses 15 to 18, if you look at it, at at the end of chapter 8, those verses are giving us a glimpse of what happens when God's kingdom comes. Here is the pattern of the kingdom in preview. Here it is in trailer form. It is not perfect here. It is not final here. This King David is only a pale reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ, David's greater son. But this is the pattern of the kingdom come on earth. This is what it looks like. And so I want to show you this morning seven features of this pattern. Seven features of this pattern. I was going to say I just had one point. We had three P's last week. We have an, another P this week, pattern. But actually, it's seven subpoints within that. So I'm telling you up front, seven features. You know the drill, don't you? Why take time to look at a difficult chapter for a second time? War and bloodshed here, r- rather than just rush past the difficult text onto chapter nine, where it's all about the kindness of the kingdom. No, we, we want to take take our time, don't we, to think about hard passages in the Bible. Last week I said there is a real problem here in chapter 8. There is holy war. I said there is God's ultimate purpose in that holy war. God is removing idolatry from the land. You remember we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 7. It matters who you date. Matters who you marry. God is saying, take a step in the wrong direction and your heart will follow and you will leave me and the whole people will leave me. God is not going to tolerate departure from His ways in His world. He wants a beautiful, perfect world. There is a problem in chapter 8. There is God's ultimate purpose in chapter 8. There is a pointer in chapter 8 to the only safe place on earth, the cross of the Lord Jesus. So last week's look at chapter 8 was the big canvas. We, we looked at the whole Bible in a way. 
And this morning, I'm going to refer us to lots of other passages, but you don't need to turn to them this morning. I'm simply going to read them to you as we come to them. I want to fill in some of the details of the picture. What, why is chapter 8 a foretaste of God's kingdom come? Why, why is it a preview? Here's the first feature of the pattern. Num- number one, when God's kingdom comes, and all the seven features begin with that, when God's kingdom comes, number one, it means justice and righteousness fill the earth. You see it? When God's kingdom comes, justice and righteousness fill the earth. Look at verse 15. So David reigned over all Israel, and he administered justice and equity to all his people. Do you see the all? All Israel and all people, they all receive justice and equity, justice and righteousness. It's obvious in our Bibles, isn't it, that these verses are summary verses. They're a concluding paragraph to what we've just read in chapter 8. In in light of verses 1 to 14, David reigned over all Israel. But what we won't easily see is that verses 15 to 18 are are not just the summary of chapter 8. They're actually the tailpiece of everything that runs from chapter 1 Samuel chapter 15 all the way through to 2 Samuel chapter 8. These verses are the end of the story of David that began in 1 Samuel chapter 15. That little phrase, justice and equity, justice and righteousness to all his people, it's so significant in the books of Samuel. You see, when, when the book of 1 Samuel opens, we have Eli the priest whose sons take bribes and pervert justice. Eli's sons take bribes and pervert justice. How many people are ever able to say, friends, that there is no corruption in church? How many people can look at the church in the world and see it is a place that is completely free of injustice, in no injustice among God's people. Is that right? No, the, the priests perverted justice. They twisted it. They bent it out of shape. When the people demand of Saul a king, like all the other nations, what does Saul warn the people? He says to them, the justice the king will give you will be the same justice as Eli's sons. I'm going to give you Saul, and under Saul, justice will be perverted. It's what happened. So when we get to verse 15 now of our chapter this morning, oh, this is so significant, so beautiful. David reigned over all Israel, and he dealt out justice and righteousness to all his people. Friends, do you know if you are looking this morning for ultimate justice, an ultimate rightness in the world, you will not find it anywhere else than with God and with His King. It's what we're longing for, isn't it? In every corner of our lives, there are tensions and difficulties and problems waiting for us tomorrow and problems in our homes. There is no ultimate rightness apart from with God and His King. Genesis chapter 18, after God has chosen Abraham, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. 
It's what the whole Bible is about, isn't it? From start to end, God made the world, we broke it, and God fixes it by sending His King. We've just had Christmas, haven't we? Do you remember Isaiah chapter 9? Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom, He will reign to establish it with what? Justice and righteousness. We're going to come back to this tailpiece right at the end. It's the point of the whole chapter, so we'll come back to this at the end. Here's point number two. When God's kingdom comes, it comes because He keeps His promises. It comes because He keeps His promises. We're reading chapter 8 straight after chapter 7. Now, here's the only bit of flicking I want you to do this morning. Just turn back to chapter 7, verse 9. Chapter 8 is the fulfillment of the promises to David. Look at the Lord's Word in chapter 7, verse 9, and I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. We're meant to read that with, with verse 13 of chapter 8, and David made a name for himself. His name becomes great. Look at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 7. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. Violent men will afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Now read that with verse 6 of chapter 8. Then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Verse 14, the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Brothers and sisters, as we wrestle with some of the difficulties in chapter 8, we need to face the reality that what David is doing here is God giving to him and to his people what he had promised he would give them. Just listen to Genesis chapter 15, verse 8. God to Abraham, to your offspring I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Promise. This land is yours, Abraham. What is David doing? taking hold of the promise. What you have said you will do, you will do. We're meant to see that in our passage this morning, God is keeping His promise to Abraham centuries later, centuries later. When we looked at chapter 7, we said that prayer pleads God's promises. Prayer pleads God's promises. That's what we're going to do when we pray the Lord's Prayer together this morning. Yes, we're going to list our petitions. We're going to bring our requests. We're going to tell God what it is that we want Him to do and what we need. But what we most need is God to be faithful to who He has said He will be and God to do what He has said He will do. You have promised to come back, Lord Jesus. So come, Come, Lord Jesus. You've, you've promised that righteousness will exalt a nation. Lord, give us righteousness in our nation. 
Give us righteousness in our hearts and our homes and our halls of power. Lord, you've promised that evil will never triumph, but it sure looks like it's triumphing. Your kingdom come. Just like you always said it would, Lord, reach down from heaven and extend your rule. Do it, Lord. It leads to the third thing. Number three, when God's kingdom comes, the nations become His possession. When God's kingdom comes, the nations become His possession. See, we, we read chapter 8, and what we notice is the seeming brutality of it, don't we? We see all the war and bloodshed, but the point of chapter 8 is the geography of the chapter. We're meant to see God's King extending the borders of the kingdom all across the map, receiving what God had always promised to His King. See, the Philistines in verse 1 are in the west. The Moabites are in the east. Zobah, verse 3, is in the far north. And Damascus, just below Zobah, but still in the north. And verse 13, the Edomites are in the south of the land. You're meant to see the arrows of God's kingdom spreading out across the whole map. What did we sing together last Sunday after our sermon, Psalm 2? God says to His King, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. North, south, east, and west are His. They belong to Him. Do you remember how the Lord Jesus describes the end when His kingdom comes? What does He say? I will send out my angels, and they will gather the elect from where? The four corners of the earth. Oh, friends, God's kingdom is not Scottish. It's not English or Irish or Welsh. It's not British. It's not American. It's not Western. Shame on us. Shame on us when we have so identified God's kingdom with a particular skin color or an accent or a culture or a way of doing things. Look at this room this morning. We had a, a, a glorious glimpse of it, don't we, Sunday by Sunday. We had a Sunday before Christmas when I think we had more nations in the room from all the, all the far ends of the earth than we've ever had before. What, what we're seeing played out in front of us is God keeping His promises and giving the nations to his king. Many of us were on the IPC prayer meeting, weren't we, just a few weeks ago. All our churches throughout the United Kingdom and further afield throughout the world and popping up on our screen the sheer variety of God's kingdom. We belong to a family of churches that has the word international in the title. And so this leads to four and five going to take them together. When God's kingdom comes, there is no conquest without conflict. And number five, when God's kingdom comes, there can, can be submission without conflict. When God's kingdom comes, there is no conquest without conflict, but it does not have to be that way. There can be submission without warfare. See, the, the, these nations here, the Philistines, the Moabites, the people of Zobah, the Syrians, the Edomites, 
you and I today might balk at the scale of the warfare in the chapter and the fact that God is giving them into David's hand, but the kingdom pattern, remember our P word, the kingdom pattern, the preview of Christ's kingdom is always the same, Old Testament and New Testament. On the whole, humanity does not long to bow the knee to Christ and His kingdom. We know that's true, don't we? On the whole, humanity does not long to welcome His reign, but rather lives to resist it. Isn't that not true? Friends, sometime read First Thessalonians. Re- read what Paul says about the persecution of God's people and what God will have to do at the end to subdue it. Read what the Lord Jesus has said He will do at the end of time, because not all the world will welcome His reign. Your kingdom come, O Lord, and when He comes, people will not throw wide the doors to welcome Him. No, far, far from that. The world is full of men and women, isn't it, who simply say to God, to hell with you if I can be king. To hell with your people if they cross my path or stand in my way, if they dare resist the laws of our nation. One commentator I read this week said this, it is a terrible distortion, a terrible distortion to believe that if people would only be nice enough, the kingdom would arrive. No, surely the cross The cross of Christ has taught us that no one defeats the dominion of darkness in a bloodless coup. The kingdom will come at last because Christ, David's seed, will impose it over all objection and all opposition and conquer all of His and our enemies. We have a warrior king. Leave vengeance to Him, always to Him, but leave it to Him because He is a king of justice and righteousness. Yet at the same time, number five, friends, when God's kingdom comes, there can be submission without conflict. There can be submission without conflict. What did you make of verses 9 and 10? When Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadadezer, here is a man who sees the bloodshed on every hand and says, ah, He sent his son Joram to King David to ask about his health and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. Hadadezer had often been at war with Toy. Some nations war against Christ's kingdom, but some nations lay down their arms and seek peace with God's king. Isn't that Psalm 2 again? Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and trembling. So, what we must understand about God's kingdom of justice and righteousness here, He does not come to destroy. That's not the point of it. It's not not the purpose of it. No, he, He is the Prince of Peace. It's what the angels announce at His birth, peace on earth, No, the the destruction is only for those who look God's king in the eye and say to him, shove off. My world now, we'll take it from here. 
we've got this. I think when you look at verses 9 and 10, we don't know exactly what's going on, do we? I guess there's politics at play. It's opportunistic schmoozing, isn't it? But, but the pattern is real, that the destruction is not the name of the game for the true king. There is place for all who submit. Number six, when God's kingdom comes, what is rightfully God's is given back to him. When God's kingdom comes, what is rightfully His is given back to Him. I wonder if you remember how the Bible ends, Revelation chapter 21. Remember what John says? What, what will the kings of the earth do at the end? And I saw no temple in the city. It has no need of sun or moon. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. They will bring into God's city the glory of the nations and the honor of the nations. Friends, this morning, who owns the stuff you own? Who owns the stuff you own? God. Not you. N not, not you really. I, I know we do, of course, but what do we have in our hands and our homes and our wallets that God hasn't loaned to us, given to us. Naked you arrived into the world, naked you will leave. What King David does here, verses 9, 10, 11, 12, he takes all the wealth of the nations and he says, this is yours, God. I'm giving it back to you, the cattle on a thousand hills are yours. That's why we have the offering every week in our service. However we choose to give, the offering is there to remind us and to show us physically and visibly that what God gives to us, we simply give back to Him. You know what it's like at Christmas time? You have a, uh, a five-year-old girl in your family, and it's what five-year-old girls want to do. They want to get mommy and daddy a Christmas present. And what's the problem for a five-year-old little Lisa wanting to get mom and dad Christmas present. What does she not have? Money. What does she do? Mom, dad, can I have some money? What's it for? Secret, surprise. Off she goes to buy mom and dad a present with their money. Gives back to mom and dad what is simply theirs. And so it is for you and me, friends, however big our bank balances, however great our wealth, whoever we are in all the world, it's God is looking down from heaven at all these multi-billionaire millionaires, and it's all His money. David takes what belongs to God and offers it back to Him. Number seven, to finish, when God's kingdom comes, His people love what He loves and look like Him. When God's kingdom comes, His people love what He loves and look like Him. So David reigned over all Israel, and he administered justice and equity to all his people. Don't you want to live in a world like that, have a king like that? And if you live with a king like that, what do you want to be like in his kingdom? I want to say to us this morning that our sense that injustice is evil 
and our sorrowing, heartbroken hatred of the fact that things are not right in the world, all that we feel about those things is nothing compared to God's love of justice and righteousness. God loves justice more than we do. God loves rightness more than we do. And when His kingdom comes and He sets up a king to rule in His kingdom on earth, justice and righteousness is what He lavishes on the earth. And He lavishes it on the earth through His people. It's not, it's not that long ago we were looking at the prophet Amos. Just listen to this paraphrase of chapter 5. These, these verses have stuck with me ever since we looked at them together. This paraphrase is so powerful. Amos chapter 5, God says to His people, I cannot stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and your conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. It's what God says in Amos chapter 5. It's powerful, isn't it? Oceans of justice and rivers of fairness, rolling streams of righteousness. That's what I want. That's why we have verses 16 to 18 here at the end of the chapter. David's justice and righteousness administers that in his kingdom. These are little pictures here of everybody and everyone working the way that it should be. Justice and righteousness are not just words on a page. They're not just ideas in someone's head. They're real. You can see them in the army. It matters who you put in charge of the army. It matters in the corridors of power who your secretary is. David puts everything in right place and everything is working well the way that it should work. Is that you? Is that me? Until the kingdom comes, while we wait for it, while we pray for it, are you asking every day of your life, Lord, what is the right thing for me to do here? What is the just thing to do? You love those things. How do, how, do I, how do I make them flow through life and through my home and my family and my workplace and in this world where you've placed me? Lord, make me an instrument of justice and righteousness. You know, Dale Ralph Davis, the commentator, he tells a lovely story about his wife, Barbara. Uh, for a, a season of time, Dale, Ralph Davis, and his wife were living in Mississippi, but Barbara, his wife, was from Kansas. And he says she loved Kansas so much that even though we were living in Mississippi, she ordered Kansas soil to be delivered to our garden in Mississippi. And she ordered Kansas plants to Mississippi. And he said, I look out of my Mississippi window, and in our garden I see a square plot of ground that is Kansas another world imported into this world. 
and Kansas plants grow in Mississippi. And Dale Ralph Davis says it is exactly that here in 2 Samuel chapter 8, the justice and righteousness of God's kingdom. Oh, we pray for it to be planted here now, don't we, among us to grow the goodness and beauty of another world, another kingdom, taking root and growing in the soil of this kingdom in our lives, in my life, in your life. So may it be. Amen.